Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA as a first-time lawyer. I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. M-S-W Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, January 25th, 2024. Today, the United Auto Workers endorses President Joe Biden. The chair of the Arizona Republican Party, DeWitt, has resigned because of those Kerry Lake audio tapes. Ohio lawmakers have banned gender-affirming care despite the governor's veto. President Joe Biden has invited Kate Cox to the State of the Union address in March. House Republicans now have one of the smallest majorities in history, over 60,000 rapes have resulted in pregnancy in states that have banned abortion. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee has advanced legislation to seize Russian assets to fund Ukraine. The Justice Department has charged an Arizona man with making death threats to President Biden. The Supreme Court is refusing to block a controversial nitrogen gas execution. The Trump White House was handing out drugs like candy. And Joe Biden won the New Hampshire primary despite not being on the ballot. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Another record-breaking news day, my friend. Uh, indeed. This one's a big one, and the stories just keep coming in, so... 
Yep. And I don't think we're slowing down anytime this year. Thank you everyone for listening to this show. I'm so glad that you get your news here. Thanks also to our uh, paid subscribers. You guys make this all possible. Uh, so wow with the new hampshire primary <laughs> i love that he wasn't on the ballot and he still won with write-ins it worked yes yes and they called it at like the second the polls closed they called it for biden but haley and trump was too close to call i had to wait a little bit and get some of the more more votes in uh, because it was just too close to call but it was a blowout for president biden i was actually worried that because he wasn't on the ballot that he you know he might not pull more votes than the other 28 million d democratic candidates that were on the ballot but he did he blew everybody out of the water um it was uh, pretty incredible and uh i'm going to get to that uh in in our next segment the quick hits and to make a long story short too late Yes, President Joe Biden absolutely embarrassed Dean Phillips by blowing him out of the water in the New Hampshire presidential primary, despite not even being on the ballot. And Donald Trump won the Republican primary, though not by the 22 points projected by the NBC poll. He only won by about half that, 11 points, though he did set a record for the most number of votes, beating Bernie Sanders' record in that state from 2016. But the big story of the night, in my opinion, was Joe Biden's win. He defeated Dean by at least 40 points with a write-in campaign, Dana. And they aren't even done counting his write-in votes. And despite that, though, Dean says he's not dropping out. And as much as Donald Trump wants Nikki Haley to drop out in his victory speech, he threatened her mm -hmm. with criminal prosecution. Five things, stuff, he said. There's like five things, just stuff we could... <laughs> Uh, and it sounds like weaponizing the DOJ to me against a political opponent, but okay. Uh, but she's not dropping out either. And, you know. Nor I should she. It, no. Are you kidding me? If this guy gets indicted and goes yeah. to prison, why in the hell would she drop out of this presidential election ever? Yeah. And I, like in even in Iowa, which is super Republican, 33, like a third of the diehard MAGA Republican voters said that they would not vote for Donald Trump if he was convicted uh, in any of his trials. And in New Hampshire, it was like half, like 45% or something like that. So yeah, I just want to correct myself real quick, because I said if the guy gets indicted, he has been indicted on right. a number of things. If convicted. Convicted. <laughs> right, 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 right. I knew what you meant. Thank you. I didn't know if the listeners, I knew we'd get a message, be like, Dana said indicted, he's been indicted 90, 100 times. <laughs> All right, IG, this next story, the Justice Department has charged an Arizona man, his name's David Hansen, with making death threats to President Biden and VP Harris, also allegedly threatening a mass shooting at my alma mater, the University of New Mexico. <sighs> Among the threats, which appeared on the social media site X, was a demand that Biden and Harris resign or be, and I quote, brutally murdered. Another called for bombing the White House, while a separate post called for the White House bombing with a GIF of the film Independence Day, in which aliens blow up the building, the DOJ's filing, this is all from the DOJ filing, perhaps one of the more embarrassing posts threatening to kill the two leaders with a screenshot of a job application from Goodwill, which included the name Michael Hansen. <laughs> I just, I, I mean, there are some dumb criminals running America's around out there. Dumbest criminals. Do you remember the guy on America's Dumbest Criminals who put a bag over his head so he wouldn't be picked up on camera but forgot to cut out eye holes? Yep. So he could asphyxiated. <laughs> uh-huh. This is this is what this is what happens. Mm. <laughs> All right. In other Arizona news, Dana, remember the story yesterday about the head of the Arizona GOP trying to bribe Carrie Lake? Yes, like, I do. 
stay out of politics just for like two years. We'll give you a lot of money. Well, he has, he's resigned, <laughs> claiming that Carrie <laughs> Lake's people have threatened to release more audio of him. He's being blackmailed. Turns out Carrie Lake worked at one of Jeff DeWitt's businesses when that recording happened. Uh, he also claims the audio was selectively edited in a statement he put out. The Arizona GOP will not elect a new chairman at this Saturday's annual meeting because a special meeting will be called in about 10 days to discuss this. DeWitt told NBC he feels burned by someone he considered a friend. Quote, I definitely feel like we were in a better position of trust because of all I had done for her. <laughs> and I'm blown away. I'm blown away that she had no respect for that at all. He said, really? Really? You're blown away that Carrie Lake is an unscrupulous asshole? Really? Like, cut out cut out some eye holes. I also think it's hysterical that she's literally blackmailing him for blackmailing her or attempting to. I know. It's I good. Know. They, they get what they deserve. Big bag mm-hmm. of rats. Yeah, and they're going to be, the a, a Arizona GOP now is just going to be in complete disarray. Yeah, good. All right, uh, President Joe Biden in this story picked up an endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union Wednesday. It's big deal, an important boost to the Democratic president's re-election bid as he pushes to sway blue-collar workers his way in critical automaking swing states like Michigan and Wisconsin. Quote, I'm honored to have your back and you have mine. That's what Biden said to a cheering crowd. Quote, that's the deal. That was from Union President Sean Fain. Had demurred even earlier this week, but on Wednesday said Biden had earned the endorsement, contrasting what he said was the president's obvious support with Trump's trash talk, anti-union stance. Quote, we heard the call and he stood up and he showed up. Fain said that, by the way, of Biden's historic picket line appearance. He showed up. Fain called Trump a scab, which is a derogatory term for workers who cross union picket lines and work during a strike. So that didn't turn out well for the orange guy. It was a hell of a speech. Um, So congratulations. That's a huge endorsement. Um, uh, Here's another story. The U.S. Supreme Court will not block Alabama from executing Kenneth Eugene Smith with nitrogen gas, a method never used before for capital punishment. Smith had asked the court to intervene, saying the execution was cruel and unusual. The execution, where toxic nitrogen will be pumped into his body through a mask, is planned for Thursday. Alabama already tried to execute Smith by lethal injection two years ago for his 1989 murder conviction. His scheduled execution could still be delayed while judges in the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals consider a separate case that Smith has filed. The three-judge panel heard arguments last Friday but has, has not indicated when they would issue a ruling. His execution in this extremely cruel way is set for this Thursday. Awful. And I'm reporting the stories it's written, but I don't like the way these stories have been covered. Ohio has banned gender-affirming care for minors and restricted transgender women's and girls' participation on sports teams, a move that has families of transgender children scrambling over how to best care for them. The Republican-dominated Senate voted Wednesday to override GOP Governor Mike DeWine's veto. The new law bans gender-affirming surgeries and hormone therapies and restricts mental health care for transgender individuals under 18. The measure also bans transgender girls and women from girls' and women's sports teams at both the K-12 and collegiate level. 
Officials expect the law to take effect in roughly 90 days. The Republican majority House had voted to override the veto earlier this month. And what I want to point out, they're making it sound like Mike DeWine did the right thing. The governor signed an executive order after he vetoed this bill, causing more damage to the trans community. So trust me, Mike DeWine is no hero in the story. Absolutely not. Um, But even worse, um, what's coming out of the legislature. Awful, awful, awful. And I don't understand a man who gets up and says the words, this harms children, and then vetoes the bill and then signs that executive order. Yeah. Well, he's a hypocrite. That shouldn't surprise anybody. I don't, I mean, remember, you know, shocked, not surprised. Nope. (laughs) And lastly, Kate Cox, remember the Texas woman at the center of the high profile abortion case? Mm Mm-hmm. She will attend the State of the Union address in March as a guest of First Lady Jill Biden. Love it. That's uh, from the White House uh, in a statement Wednesday. President Joe Biden and the First Lady called Kate Cox on Sunday to hear about her experience and invited her to attend the address. That's according to Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre during a press briefing. Quote, they thanked her for her courage in sharing her story and speaking out about the impact of the extreme abortion ban in Texas. That's what Jean-Pierre said. The First Lady invited Kate to join her as a guest at the State of the Union, and Kate accepted. So those are ways that you're going to hear the president lift up those very personal stories. I love to see it. Good. I want all kinds of people like that at the State of the Union. And boy, when we get uh, into a little bit of the news in a minute here, uh, you're going to hear just how bad this is getting. Uh, Let's do it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up from Nikki Ramirez at Rolling Stone. White House pharmacists reportedly distributed uppers and downers like candy to the Trump administration officials during Trump's time in office. And that's according to a new report from the Department of Defense Inspector General. The 80 page document, which was released January 8th, found that, quote, all phases of the White House medical unit's pharmacy operations had severe and systemic problems due to the unit's reliance on ineffective internal controls to ensure compliance with pharmacy safety standards. The investigation, which began in 2018 after the Office of Inspector General, the DOD OIG, received complaints about improper medical practices within the White House medical unit. They found a slew of compliance issues and improper safety standards. The medical unit's operations fall under the jurisdiction of the White House military office. The report covers a period between 2009 and 2018, with the majority of its findings coalescing around 2017 to 2019, the height of the Trump administration. While Trump lived under the White House roof, the pharmacy reportedly kept messy handwritten records, spent lavishly on brand name medications, and failed to comply with a slew of federal law and Department of Defense regulations governing the handling, distribution, and disposal of prescription meds. Through in-person inspections and interviews with over 120 officials, the report concluded, quote, that the White House Medical Unit provided a wide range of health care and pharmaceutical services to ineligible White House staff in violation of federal law and regulation and DOD policy. Additionally, the White House Medical Unit dispensed prescription medications, including controlled substances, to ineligible White House staff. One witness told the DOD OIG that the pharmacy staff regularly prepared go bags. Oh, my God. Of prescription medications to White House staff in advance of overseas trips. One of our requirements was to go ahead and make packets up for the controlled medications, and those would typically be Ambien or Provigil, typically both. 
That's what the witnesses said. Quote, so we would normally make these packets of Ambien and Provigil, and a lot of times they'd be in like five tablets in a Ziploc bag. So traditionally, too, we would hand these out. Ambien, as you know, is a sedative used to treat insomnia. Provigil, I hope I'm saying that right, it might be Provigil, is a stimulant used to treat narcolepsy. Both are considered controlled medications. The witness said a lot of times the senior staff would come by or their staff representatives would come by the residence clinic to pick it up. And it was very much a, hey, I'm here to pick this up for Ms. X. And the expectation was just go ahead and pass it out. So passing medication out all the time undersold the problem, as the report found that the -the over-the-counter drugs were often left out in bins for staff to simply grab at their own leisure. The report found that between 2017 and 2019, the White House spent an estimated $46,500 on Ambien alone. Wow. That's 174 times more expensive than the generic equivalent. And they spent about $98,000 for brand name Provigil which is 55 times more expensive than meth. I mean, the generic equivalent. I would really be interested to know who owns those pharmaceuticals and how much they've donated possibly to the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the old president. I'd be curious to know if they're buying these brand names instead of generic. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. All the money. No. And, and you know, I'm, I'm meth. I'm saying meth as a joke. Yes. Um, because of Ronnie Jackson. I'm not comparing actual prescribable medications for people's you know, that people need to, yes, I want to be clear there in its conclusion, in conclusion, the OIG recommended that the director of the defense health agency aid the white house in developing a more robust policy for the control and management of prescription meds. Additionally, the report suggests that the white house established controls for white house patient eligibility within the military health system. That's who I used to work with the MHS and that the unit be placed under an oversight plan headed by senior health officials in the department of defense. We need a babysitter there. Hopefully, if implemented, the recommendations will prevent the White House from operating as a pill mill for the executive branch in future administrations. And everybody, don't forget, Dr. Ronnie Jackson, Mm -hmm. who later ran for Congress, who was Trump's doctor, who said he's the most healthiest guy. He's going to live to be 200. He weighs nine pounds and he's beautiful. (laughs) That guy, (laughs) the guy who was often found drunk. Yep. He was known as the candy man. Mm hmm. Because he would pass out meds. So are we really surprised, Office of Inspector General? Nope. And in fact, you remember when they found a baggie of cocaine? I do. At the, I bet that is leftover, crushed up Provigil from the Trump administration. Oh my God, probably. <laughs> no, they tested it, right? It was cocaine. It I was think it cocaine. was cocaine. They're basically, though, they were handing out speedballs. One of yeah. them is to help with insomnia. The, one, the other one is to, yeah, it's insane. Oy. All right. Well, we'll see what we'll see what happens. You want to sleep, or you want to be really asleep, or you want to be really awake, yep. or you want to try both at the same time. <laughs> All right, Ag. This one's from Kyle Stewart at NBC. The 118th House of Representatives has been marked by its history-making moments. The first multi-ballot speaker election in 100 years the first speaker ever to be voted out of office, and the first member expelled without a conviction since the Civil War. Congratulations, everyone. Really? Just just a slow golf clap for that. While Republicans have had a narrow majority through it all, they're entering another historic making moment this week, one of the smallest House majorities ever. 
House Republicans have lost three members since December. With the expulsion of George Santos, uh, the resignation of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, and Rep. Bill Johnson, Republican from Ohio, his departure this week to start a new job as the president of Youngstown State University. Yeah, well, I can tell you that I know how to pronounce this oh, as Youngstown. Youngstown That's State? Youngstown. Youngstown. Ohio, yeah. <laughs> Youngstown. Youngstown. Yep, Youngstown <laughs> State University. Don't know what happened with my, with my accent there. So all of them departed. Republicans now hold 219 seats to Democrats 213, giving new Speaker Mike Johnson, well, a little, barely any wiggle room, let's just say that, no error to pass legislation. With Majority Leader Steve Scalise, the Republican from Louisiana, out until February for treatments related to his blood cancer diagnosis, that shrinks the majority even further. Since the House was set up at 435 members in 1913, some narrow majorities have faced difficulty getting bills passed while others achieved legislative success. Some have even seen the balance of power shift to the opposite party, though never in the middle of a session. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations, Republicans in disarray. You're winning awards. Three times, like 1917 when they had to get into the war, uh, like uh, 1953 or something like, like it's pretty rare. Um, This is historically, so not only are they historically shitty for passing the least amount of bills ever in the history of Congress. Oh my goodness. They also have one of the like tiniest margins. Um, So we're going to flip that bitch in in November. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I don't know where that came from. I love it. Leave it in. All right. Leaving it in. Next up, content warning. Okay. So this is um, a horrifying story. On a serious note, yeah, content warning. And this is content for warning for rape and sexual assault. This is from Sheila Bayless at The Messenger. More than 60,000 women and girls have become pregnant after being raped in states with total abortion bans in the months since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Following the U.S. Supreme Court's June 2022 Dobbs decision, 14 states enacted total abortion bans. Five of these states have exceptions for their abortion bans in cases of rape. However, victims must immediately report the rape to police, which happens only about 21% of the time. That's according to the researchers. Uh, And the study says few, if any, of these rape victims were able to get an abortion legally. If they did seek one, they had to travel out of state or pursue self-managed abortion, which Mm. may include obtaining an abortion pill. The 14 states include Alabama, Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Using previous Centers for Disease Control and Prevention of Sexual Violence data multiplied by the fraction likely to result in pregnancy, researchers estimated 519,981 rapes resulted in 64,565 pregnancies since the bans went into effect 18 months ago. Further, they estimate about 5,500 rape-related pregnancies occurred in five states with rape exceptions. 58,000, almost 59,000, 91% happened in states with no exception for rape. Nearly half of those, 26,000, occurred in Texas alone where Governor Greg Abbott has said he will not prosecute rape victims who get an abortion within six weeks when you don't don't even even know know you're pregnant. pregnant. And, you know, I think he came out and said, well, we'll just stop all the rapes. Mm -hmm. 26,000 in his state since Roe was overturned. 
Quote, in this cross-sectional study, thousands of girls and women in states that banned abortion experienced rape-related pregnancy, but few, if any, obtained in-state abortions legally, suggesting that rape exceptions fail to provide reasonable access to abortion for survivors. That's what the researchers wrote. One of the researchers, Sam Dickman, uh, who's a, a doctor, told NPR he was horrified by the number. Sexual assault is incredibly common. I knew that in a general sense, but to be confronted with these estimates that are so high in states where there's no meaningful abortion access is hard to comprehend. And Dana, this is why I wrote that op-ed, my opinion piece in the Washington Post. Absolutely. I had a, a pregnancy re uh, resulting from a, a rape, and I was able in the 90s to get access to abortion care. And I was terrified for anyone who is in the military living in a state under no control of their own. They don't get to, you don't get to choose where you're stationed when you're right. in the military, you, at least mostly, most of the time. Um, being, this is state sanctioned forced birth. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, it's state sanctioned rape. It's awful. It's and I'm terrifying. so sorry. I know I've said that before. I'm just so sorry you had to go through that. You created that and not something, it's like the collateral beauty of a horrifying situation, but you literally changed laws. Thank you. And uh, no thanks to Tommy Tuberville. Yeah. Or policy, I should say. Yeah. But that policy stood fast. Um, and I think that's a word, stood fast. And, um, but, but think of everyone who's not in the military. Yeah. It's just, it's so frightening. 26,000 in Texas alone. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified of this day when these reports were going to come out and this research was going to be done about how many women are forced to carry their rapist babies. And I guarantee, I guarantee Greg Abbott is going to blame the border. I guarantee that he's going to oh. do that, not thinking that people won't look into these and see where these rapes are actually coming from. They're going to sure. blame the border. Good. That's a good point. Awful, awful, awful. All right, let's see if we can turn this around just a little bit. This is from Laura Kelly at the Hill. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee advanced legislation Wednesday to allow U.S. to seize frozen Russian assets to pay for Ukraine's reconstruction. The top Democrat and Republican on the panel were confident that Senate leadership viewed the legislation called the Repo Act as a priority for passage amid stalled efforts to deliver on further assistance for Ukraine. If signed into law, the legislation would mark the first time the U.S. has seized foreign assets of a country it is not at war with. Lawmakers said the Biden administration is supportive of the bill. An administration official told The Hill that, quote, generally speaking, we are supportive of having domestic legislative authorities that will give us flexibility as we continue to discuss with partners and allies on how best to cease Russia's aggression in Ukraine and ensure Russia pays for the damage it has caused. The official continued, we are also engaged in active conversations with our allies and partners, including G7, to ensure we are all coordinated in making Russia pay. Cardin succeeded in passing his amendment to the bill in the committee meeting, an effort to address what he said are concerns around challenges in American courts to the U.S. government's seizure of another foreign government's assets and not draw out the process. The U.S. holds about $5 billion to about $6 billion in Russian central bank assets that it froze in February of 2022 following Russian President Vladimir Putin's launch of a full-scale invasion into Ukraine. The action was taken in coordination with partners in Europe, Canada, and Japan, 
with total frozen Russian central bank assets held overseas that are said to amount in about $300 billion. Yep, G7 nations, the group of seven, the priority bloc supporting Ukraine, has yet to come to a consensus on using frozen Russian assets for Ukraine's reconstruction. But the U.S. move on cementing language and passing legislation is viewed as a priority step in getting other countries on board. Baked into the text is uh, for the executive branch to certify to Congress that it is coordinating with G7 partners and others on working together on the seizure of Russian assets for Ukraine's reconstruction. Cardin said the priority issue for the Senate to follow through passing President Biden's national security supplemental, excuse me, national security supplemental, which is to include $60 billion for Ukraine, but is held up over negotiations on changes to U.S. immigration policy. Okay, because we know that's a big problem that the Republicans have caused. Quote, we got to get this supplemental done. Ukraine has to have it. It's a matter of survival. That's from Cardin, adding that the repo bill is a way to impose more pressure on Russia to remove its troops and accepting responsibility for the damages that they've caused. Hmm. Well, good. Uh, hey, Dana. Yes, my friend. Got a little. Got a little bit of breaking news. Okay, give it to me. This is from CNN. Sources say the House Ethics Committee investigating Republican Matt Gates of Florida has reached out to the U.S. Justice Department and to a woman with whom the congressman allegedly had sexual relations with when she was 17 years old. That's called rape. And uh, so <laughs> the House ethics investigation into Matt Gates is uh, rolling on. Clearly, we have started the good news segment early. Thank you very much, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. And we're going to get to some more good news, listener-submitted style if you have good news, send it to us at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. We'll have more of this story as it develops on tomorrow's Daily Beans. Um, Dana, I know you're going to be out the next couple of days. We will see you again on Tuesday, but you're going to be here with me to read the good news. So we'll do that. We just have to take a quick break. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Good news, good news. And if you have more good news on top of Matt Gates being investigated by the House Ethics Committee, you can send it to us if you've got corrections, confessions, um, what the animal, what the whatever, animal photos, just all of your animal photos. And if you don't have pod pet tax, you can send an adoptable pet in your area and give a shout out to a local business in your area or your business. Um, self shout outs, shout outs to loved ones, blankie stories, whoopie stories, stuffed animal stories. I want to hear your stories about your student debt forgiveness. These are incredible stories and they are life changing. And I love to hear about these. Uh, also, if you're a veteran and you've had a good experience with the Department of Veterans Affairs, I also want to hear about that. Please send in those good stories. Uh, anything at all, really, frog orgies, baby pictures, send it to us, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. This first one is from Peter, no pronouns given. I've been listening to some of your challenges with place name pronunciations, <laughs> and many of them are somewhat arbitrary and locally defined. I'm from Canada, where French is an official language. I don't speak it well, but I can usually nail the pronunciation of an occasional French word. These change locally. 
<laughs> One time I was on a bus trip through the U.S. going to Colorado, and we stopped in a town in Nebraska called Pierre. I would have pronounced it like this, uh, like our then prime minister, Pierre. But in Nebraska, it's pronounced Pierre. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in the same folk festival weekend, oh, very cool. I want to go to a folk festival. I saw performances of two musicians called Chenier. Mm, probably saying that wrong. And one from Winnipeg that was pronounced Chenier. Ah, instead of Chenier, it's Chenier. And the one from Louisiana was pronounced Chenier. Oh, okay. So I was half right. Just goes to show you can never tell how a place is pronounced until you ask somebody who is from there. Fair. Peter, thank you. Fair. Thank you. And that's why we love everyone's corrections. Yes, we do. Um, I know. Uh -oh. I'll just snag uh -oh. the next two. This is from Leanne. No pronouns given, but Leanne had a granddaughter Tuesday morning. She's awesome and then some, and she is perfect. Look at the baby. Congratulations. Now, who gets the contracts for these baby blankets? They're all the same. They all have to come from the same company. That's true. Hmm. These little swaddly baby blankets from the hospital with the stripes on them. You yeah. know what I'm talking about. Someone's made a lot picture. of money. This angel. Yes. Thank you for that very much. And this one's from Nicole. Pronounce she and her. Greetings and salutations, Queen Beans. I had a laugh when you summarized all of the animal games as, what the fuck is that? <laughs> I started working in the... <laughs> entomology department at Rutgers University four years ago with a group that focuses on ticks and mosquitoes. <laughs> yep. I quickly became the go-to person among friends, family, and scouts for any and all bug queries, most of which are exactly, what the fuck is that? It's a good thing I'm not squeamish. Here's a not-so-sweary exchange in photo from my sister. I won't make you guess. It's a large tolipe moth, and I think it's pretty cool. But I'm weird like that. Keep up the great work. You're both making amazing contributions to the fight to save our democracy. Love you both. And listen, I don't love <laughs> bugs. This one is very cute. It's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty. It's got a fur coat. It also looks like a Christmas gnome. <laughs> like that you would put on a shelf. So I'm okay with it. Yeah, or like a wizard. Yeah, like a wizard. That thing is definitely working for Harry Potter. It might actually be Harry Potter. We don't know. <laughs> she goes, what is this? And the response is, ooh. ooh. And the sister goes, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> I love bad. it. Thank you for that. Next up from Sarah, pronoun she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. Thanks for being my lifeline that cuts through the hellscape of political media coverage. You're welcome, Sarah. Thank you for listening. I found you during the Trump impeachment chaos, and I haven't left you since. I just wanted to share a bit of local good news with you and all of the listeners. I am in, I'm a Western New Yorker residing just outside of Buffalo. Recently, the Kansas City Chiefs came and shattered the hearts of the Bills Mafia once again. This is not the good news. For those who don't know, the Bills Mafia is the name given to the Buffalo Bills fan base. To put it lightly, we are very passionate about our team. Anyways, so after some mistakes by the Bills, the game ended when our kicker, Tyler Bass, missed a field goal that would have been tied that would have tied the game. Unfortunately, Bass got a ton of hate on social media after the game, so much so that he deactivated his social media accounts. Well, the Mafia can't have that. We stand behind our team. And to show Tyler Bass that we still love him, Bills fans have been donating $22, Bass is number two on the team, to his preferred charitable organization, a local cat rescue. This is so sweet. 
as of the time I'm writing this, the Bills Mafia and beyond, I'm sure, have donated $180,000 to the 10 Lives Club. Great name. That's a no-kill cat adoption group here in Western New York. Yeah, it sucks that our Super Bowl dreams have been crushed once again. But think of how many kitties can be saved with that kind of cash. This is an opportunity most rescues could only dream of. It's truly unbelievable and amazing, and I am in awe. Shout out to the Bills Mafia. Our Super Bowl year is coming someday. I don't have kitties myself because my husband is allergic, but I have attached my pups, Huck and Huey, for pet tax. Huck is the brown old English bulldog. Huey is the mostly white brown dude next to white and brown dude next to him. He came from a local rescue and is a mix of six breeds, although one is dominant at just over 50%. His DNA results are included as well. Oh, I'd say that dominant is Pitt. He's cute, though. I think Mastiff. Yeah? Oh, wait, no. Huck is the brown old English bulldog. Yeah. Huey is the mostly white. I'm going to say American bulldog. All right. But pity, so, you say? Yep. And as we know, there has to be chow chow because there's in chow chow everything. <laughs> With that damn Catahoula hound dog. Or, I know. <laughs> Let's see what we have. Pitbull. Oh. Chow chow. Springer Spaniel. Hmm. Cane Corso. Hmm. German Shepherd. Rottweiler. Wow. I don't see Shepherd and Rot, but they're low percentages. So there you, you have it. You got the top two, my friend. There we go. Then oh I feel my like gosh. a winner. Okay. So Sarah, I'm so sorry about the bills. I really am. And um, <laughs> somebody put up a video, uh, and you know, I hate to like pile onto your pain, but this did make me laugh. I'm a Browns fan, so we, you know, we never get anywhere. You've been through some therapy. Yep, we've been through some stuff. Um, but uh, this woman was doing like this kind of a, a funny video about all the things, and she was having like a, a pretend meeting with all of the different teams in the in the playoffs. And she says, "Okay, and we definitely want to expand the Kansas City boxes, right? Those you know where this Swift Taylor Swift and Kelsey and uh, Jason Kelsey and everybody sit the the very nice little." Mm-hmm box seats and um and she's like but you know we need to kind of re we need to like uh rebuild them because they're a little narrow right they need to be wide right and i died laughing because the kicker missed wide right Mm -hmm. uh and said i thought that was uh i I was i was laughing pretty hard so i do want to apologize that's a (laughs) confession i want to make to you sarah and the bills mafia that was a gut-wrenching loss for you guys. I know what it's like, so sorry about that. I saw some funny I shade. And I listen, I know everything can be edited, so I'm not sure if it's true. But if it is hysterical, apparently in the Bills Stadium, after the giant snow, they cleaned all of the home seats and left the visitor seats with a lot of fucking snow. And there's videos of these people trying to get to their seats. It was just hysterical. <laughs> trudging through like yep. seriously hip waist deep high snow yeah <laughs> good stuff all right well yes hopefully next year for the bills and also whoever else wants their football team to win okay this one's from buzz pronouns he and him a short shit kid say probably 15 to 20 years ago my mom's german shepherd sadie passed away this dog was super sweet super huge weighing in over a hundred pounds oh my God. it was the dead of winter and the ground was frozen solid Plus, she was getting too old to dig a hole that big, and I was deployed wherever it was at the time. That's when I learned about having pets cremated. She gets the ashes, and that's the last I hear of it. Fast forward a few years, my mom was moving, and we were talking on the phone on speaker. She mentioned that she still had Sadie's ashes and didn't know what to do with them. 
I suggested she bury them like she would have if she wasn't cremated. She said she considered that, but the box the ashes came in was really nice and not cheap. I said, you put dad in a really nice box and I didn't have a problem burying him. (laughs) And didn't have a problem burying him. I look at my wife and her jaw hits the floor. To this day, I still say my comment was completely logical, just poorly worded. I don't know. It's pretty fucking funny. Anyway, the real reason I'm sharing the story today is for the pet submission. I retired, excuse me, a retired football player in Baltimore continues his amazing work. The Ronnie Stanley Foundation has a pup named Linus who is in the running for the puppy bowl. This foundation takes rescue dogs and trains them to be emotional support dogs. Please consider voting for Linus in the puppy bowl. You can vote every day at puppybowl.com. We're going to have links, by the way, to Ronnie Stanley's foundation and the Puppy Bowl voting page in our show notes. And my goodness, the puppy's adorable. I guess that's the theme today. Sports people doing great things for pets. Yeah, Linus is super cute. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, you guys, thank you for these submissions. I mean, in addition to the Matt Gates being investigated again story, this is really brightening my day. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, and please continue to send your stuff in. Day and I are going to be out for the next couple of days. Do you have any final thoughts for the weekend before we get out of here? No, I do not. Other than just just take care. And I know that AG is going to elaborate on that, but please keep taking care of yourself. It's so, so important. Everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. Take care of your family. Vote blue over Q. And please take everyone you know with you. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to 
be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.